episode 1, 2020. Happy New Decade! Before I make a start on today's episode, I wanted to flag a slight change to the podcast this year. Instead of a paid advertising spot, this year I've offered the spot to someone who I sat down with for a chat on the podcast last year. John Briggs is an Aboriginal man doing great things to help Australians better understand our country's history. If you missed that episode, then have a listen or follow up on the call to action in the next spot. John Briggs Consultancy, leading Australia's reconciliation and Indigenous engagement journey. As a leading specialist in his field of training, consulting and facilitation, John has an exceptional talent for bringing each participant, organisation and audience along on a journey of discovery. He is a master of building cultural safety with any group. John works with audiences of all levels and backgrounds, from senior executives to students and educators. He covers political, legislative and economic pillars to help participants gain a better understanding of Indigenous governance in a holistic framework. John Briggs Consultancy is the exclusive provider and subject matter expert around Indigenous engagement for Coles nationally and he's delivered more than 180 presentations for them since 2011. If you want to find out more about John Briggs Consultancy, please go to www.johnbriggs.net.au or call John Direct on 0417-003-565. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire. And I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. In this episode, I'm joined by Leon Drury from one of the state industry training advisory bodies, Manufacturing Skills Australia. The voice of industry is critical to the VET sector and in a different way is also not without influence in higher education. So far on the podcast, we haven't heard the views of someone who works with industry to help them get their voices and concerns heard in the tertiary sector. Today's episode changes that. Have a listen and let me know what you think. It's my great pleasure for the first podcast episode back for 2020 and in fact the start of the decade uh, to be joined by Leon Drury who is the Executive Officer for Manufacturing Skills Australia um, and Leon uh, I always ask uh, guests on the on the podcast for a bit about their background as well as the current role that they have so would you mind talking us through a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure thanks Claire. Um, as you said, uh, I am the Executive Officer for uh, Manufacturing Skills Australia. Um, been in this role now for near on 10 years, um, but uh, I, I started my career out uh, as an apprentice in several trades and have experienced the system from that perspective. Um, I've also worked industrially doing workplace relations and industrial relations 
for a union and implementing competency standards. Uh, and uh, I've also worked for a skills council. So MSA used to be a skills council uh, and we are now um, running a scholarship fund that's the result of uh, the wrapping up of the skills councils. Uh, following that, um, in recent times, I've been the chair of an IRC uh, for textiles and have uh, been involved um, fairly significantly uh, in cross-sector projects and so on since uh, the start of the SSA model um, several years ago. In your um, role at MSA, for people who don't know what, so that's now a state um, ITAB, Industry Advisory Board. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do in that role? Yeah, as the ITAB, um, we play a role as a conduit between industry and the state government, providing advice and intelligence to the state government about what industry's needs are. So we're in constant contact with industry and um, getting a feel for what their needs are and how they're implementing their training and even, you know, how they access uh, apprentices and trainees and so on. Um, and in recent times, to be honest, it's been pretty difficult for the manufacturing sector, as I'm sure your listeners would be aware. Um, not so much because manufacturing is dead or dying. It's uh, a perspective thing, you know, since the auto industries have announced that they were shutting their major plants, everybody in the public um, environment and in the um, bureaucracies have believed that manufacturing is dead. Uh, in fact, we still employ well over a million people nationally and New South Wales is the major um, employer of manufacturing-related industries. And for every one manufacturing job, there's six uh, supporting uh, or six jobs that rely on that one manufacturing job. So we have a significant role in the Australian economy. And it would be fair to say, um, and maybe a, a topic for another podcast, that with the changes in the world of work and manufacturing has been right at the forefront of this um, under the, the banner of Industry 4.0, so more digital and automated technologies, there's actually new opportunities for Australian manufacturers to, to grow and expand what they're doing. Um, so, so definitely not dead and, and even new and different um, opportunities ahead, I guess. Absolutely. It, almost every sector manufacturing is involved with everything from food. You know, the, the big, um, I guess, headline at the moment is in the aged care and health sector and uh, manufactured goods play a major role there. And, you know, every hospital has uh, some engineering staff that operate in that environment, um, in the food process, process uh, environment, even in the um, farm and agriculture environments, uh, manufacturing plays a major role in uh, designing and uh, creating and maintaining equipment for that sector. And, and more and more, um, you know, technology is playing a major role. We've been working on a project recently with um, Australian Industry Group to roll out a diploma in applied technologies, which is really around um, plugging in to what was deemed an analogue sort of environment, uh, a digital twin, if you like, uh, which will gather intelligence on uh, activities both from customers and suppliers and the uh, you know sustainability of the equipment um, so that we can become quicker and more efficient at uh, doing more with less so although we're not looking at you know the factories of old with smokestacks and chimneys and you know thousands of semi or low skilled workers now we are highly skilled technical um, workers and quite often adept at using technology 
to facilitate our um, our roles. Fantastic. So with that uh, background and those different um, hats that you wear currently in the sector and all the different uh, projects that you're involved in as well as your dealings with governments, um, it, can you talk to us a bit about your views of particularly the Joyce Review, but in the context of all the other reviews that have just happened or are, are currently ongoing um, within the sector, if, coming from an industry perspective, what's your sense of these reviews and some of what Joyce is recommending? Uh, look, generally my view of the Joyce review has been uh, one that, you know, if implemented correctly by the right government in the right way, um, it would lead some, to some fantastic uh, outcomes for us. Uh, the challenge is, is that uh, industry and, quite frankly, all the stakeholders in VET uh, have got fatigue around reviews. Um, we don't seem to want to settle on anything and everyone wants to rebrand or redo things and rejig things um, uh, on the basis that we think someone's doing it better than us. Um, you know, our system has got a long history. Uh, all right, it has had needs for tweaks and adjustments, um, but it hasn't necessarily been uh, a total failure. Um, what I am seeing in recent times where we've got new people coming into the sector who are driving some of this review work um, are a little uh, uneducated about that history um, and aren't aware about uh, aren't aware of some of the underpinnings and the importance of having these structures in place, uh, particularly where we're looking at streamlining and um, reducing uh, the numbers of qualifications and units and so on that are out there. Um, we're, we're almost throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, wanting to simplify things, you know, it's a bit of a, a modern disease, I suppose, where everybody wants something fast and, you know, instant gratification and cheaper and easier. And uh, we're talking about complex environments where we're dealing with people, we're dealing with complex complex industries and complex uh, interactions between customers and, and workers. And uh, if it was easy, then everybody would be doing it, as they say. I think your point about um, overly simplifying things is a is a really good one. I um, look at I know it's outside of manufacturing, but I look at the certificate three in individual support, and and that was you know a qualification established because there's a lot of commonality in the different care sectors, aged care, disability, etc. And yet I think as we've now got Royal Commissions into those particular two industries, um, what uh, the Royal Commissioners are starting to shed a light on, particularly in aged care, is that perhaps that commonality hasn't served us well and we do need specific qualifications for people working in specific industries. So I, I think that's a, a really timely point that you make. Um, Tell us a bit more about what are some of the things that you do like about Joyce? Um, I think the role of industry sort of uh, nominating and managing um, RTOs and so on uh, within the system would actually assist us. Um, what we've had at the moment is a very laissez-faire approach. Uh, having said that, you know, recently ASQA have been sort of um, <laughs> slashing and burning uh, through the industry uh, in some ways could be criticised for being a little bit too overzealous um, uh, in, in that area. Um, but, um, you know, our industry really wants quality outcomes and that requires organisations that are going to 
adhere to um, the requirements of the standards, and uh, that, that's probably the the primary one that um, I'm interested in. Um, having the commission there and so on, we get to see how that all bears out. Uh, but we're going to continue to see this um, uh, tension between the states and, and the national system um, that, that is not always helpful. You know, I deal with a number of companies that are cross-border and they would like to see more uh, synchronicity, if you like, uh, between the states. Um, and, you know, maybe the, if some of the things that are implemented within Joyce did roll out, then that would assist with that. Um, my understanding is, you know, obviously um, we're talking about a Kiwi that's come and done a review of an Australian system and has looked very closely at the New Zealand system, which uh, I'm still sort of a little dismayed at why the Kiwis are moving away from it when we're looking at it as a, as a possible next step for us. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how it all pans out. Um, like I said, all these, the recommendations that are in there, um, could be fantastic if they're implemented in the way um, that we'd like to see it implemented. But um, sometimes we we see uh, governments and bureaucracies uh, put put some things into action uh, where the intention. Uh, isn't always um, founded um, in the way the uh, the reviewer intended it to be. I think that's you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. That's my my concern. I think there is a, a lot of merit in that report, and I like you. I particularly like the the recommendation that. Uh, industry is more directly involved in not just the specifying of training, which I guess there's, you know, a role that you have. He's saying a, a closer role, um, but mm. directly in the um, the allocation of funding to preferred providers. I think that would be um, a really good step forward. But will the Commonwealth and the states agree that in the way it is intended and step back and allow industry that um, funding power, albeit within some, I guess, nationally set uh, criteria, that would be a, a huge step forward for, for the system. And then I think going to your earlier point, um, governments agreeing to leave the system to settle for a while and then if they are going to make changes. We don't want, you know, something to, to stay static for forever. But to keep in mind the consequences of them, we you're totally right. We see lots of good initiatives put together with good intent, uh, change of government or uh, poor implementation. Uh, we throw something out and we start all over again. And I think it's, it's damaged confidence for uh, learners and parents uh, as well as for um, employers. So with that, uh, as your sense of where things are and how those reviews look at the moment, can you cast your mind uh, forward and talk us through what you think industry needs from the sector, the vet sector, uh, for the coming decade? If if you were to, you know, uh, be at the in full control of uh, of government for uh, you know the vet sector, um, having all the industry experience that you have, what what do you think it should be? What are the changes to make if there are any changes uh, that you think the sector needs to for the next decade? I think, as I said earlier, you know, I think it's really a, a need for quality outcomes um, and outcomes that are aligned to the industry sectors. Um, there seems to be a bit of a silver bullet approach being taken at the moment saying we want a one system that fits all outcomes. 
Um, quite honestly, you know, I don't think that works. Uh, it works in the benefit for some and not so much for others. So you need to uh, be able to look very closely at the sectors and say, what are the special needs that that sector has? Uh, recent times uh, for the engineering um, training package, we really, and it still hasn't actually come through uh, all the way yet um, because we've got state ministers holding it up on the basis of, you know, bureaucracies within each state, um, trying to stop training packages from being rolled out, which is the intention of the industry. Um, but we've got the people who are, you know, holding the, the bags of money in the states saying, no, we're not going to sign off on that because we don't think that it's going to support the flow of um, funding in the state. Um, I don't know. We're supposed to be at an industry-centric um, system now, um, but it doesn't seem to be uh, that way. Uh, we've been held up at every turn, uh, being told we can't do things uh, that are in the interest of our industry, uh, which really does concern me. I think that needs to change. I think there needs to be a really open, uh, an open ear to the intention and the need of industry um, and then for the people who service the industry to to respond to that in a way that is actually going to be productive for everyone. Um, I'm seeing a lot of companies uh, just not wanting to interact with the system any longer because of the complexities and diff difficulties that are put in front of them by, you know, um, uh, you know state and territory uh, regulation or you know, uh, training organisations who are trying to meet their needs rather than meeting the needs of industry. Uh, they need to be flexible um, in the interest of industry. Uh, that's that's probably my biggest issue is uh, a lot of the organisations are saying, you know, we've built it, now you should come. Uh, and industry are saying, well, we're very busy at producing and doing the things that we need to do. Uh, yes, we need your assistance, but you need to work in partnership with us. Um, and that means understanding the, the time frames and the needs and so on of, of industry. Um, and even to the extent of helping with um, the, the management of the process of training. So uh, a lot of RTOs have basically taken uh, apprentices and trainees into their four walls and done their training and then sent them back into the workplace Without, with very little regard to the process uh, of collecting evidence or, or gaining work experience on the job. Um, and that's very important for the manufacturing sector. They need to be uh, exposed and experienced in, in the processes and understanding what it means to work in a, a highly, um, in some, some cases it can be a, a dangerous environment, um, but it is one that has high pressures of productivity and uh, that's what employers are really looking for is uh, people who can work productively and effectively in their environments. Um, you've made a range of good points there, Leon, and I wanted to ask you to expand a bit on, on one in particular. You talked about um, a need for the system to have more flexibility. And when we spoke recently, you were giving me a couple of examples about how um, bringing new courses into the system um, is easier uh, for industry and employers uh, working, you know, with training providers in uh, WA and Victoria uh, because those states have kept their accrediting powers as well as some, some regulatory powers. Did you want to talk us through a little bit about how that's been quite useful 
um, for for the uh, you know employers uh, that that you're aware of. Sure, and, and I guess because um, Victoria and Western Australia haven't um, referred their powers to ASQA, they have they remain in that role of being able to um, accredit a course and get something rolling fairly quickly um, without having to consider the whole uh, ramifications across the country, um, which, you know, I think unfairly sometimes training packages are criticised for their slowness, but they are the standards that are set for the whole of the nation, not just a, a small pocket. And if we want to be innovative and creative around what the needs are, um, sometimes we see you know, the squeaky wheels get the oil and um, from an IRC perspective, I'm continually asking, you know, who is this here to service? When we are asked to make a change to a, a training product, um, what is the impact of this? Because there's a long tail of industry that probably aren't at the leading edge. They are doing the day-to-day -day blood and guts work of getting things done, um, whereas there's a, a what you'd call the bleeding edge of innovation People say, you know, we need this because this is the projects that we're going after, blah, blah, blah. And in time, that will filter down throughout the system. But um, we need to be um, reticent of, you know, the industry that's already there but aren't at that bleeding edge. Um, and the same with the training sector. And we've seen in recent times the, the real emphasis put on, you know, micro-credentials and things that probably aren't necessarily accredited. Um, and I think there's place for that. You know, our industry for a long time have been using original equipment manufacturers to do training that is not nationally accredited. I'd like to see some of that training actually aligned to national accreditation so we get that uh, skill made portable and transferable across the sector. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. Um, and I don't think that we should be using things like micro-credentials and skill sets as... Um, an alternative to the current system we have. I think the intention of having uh, a national system and um, particularly training products and full qualifications, they're there to aid industry in um, being able to identify workers that have the foundations of what they need. And then when you employ someone, you bring them in and you actually upskill them and maybe the continual learning of, you know, uh, e-learning and um, a micro-credential and so on uh, would help them in, you know, the specialisations they have on the job. But I think um, going back to the national system um, and what's happening in WA and Victoria, um, you can actually innovate quickly and, and test something. Um, and I, I think I mentioned to you before when I was talking about this is in the um, defence aerospace industry in the US, uh, Lockheed Martin has an organisation called Skunk Works and they use that for their highly innovative and highly inventive um, products um, and they create a space for that to happen. I think in the national space they could do that as well. Um, they don't necessarily need to refer powers back to the states but create that space at a national level to say we're going to allow this to happen. Um, we expect the states to fund it uh, in a pilot way um, so that we can get some speed but I, I think some of the emphasis that's been put on speed and simplification needs to be sort of wound back a little bit and realise the reasons why we're cautious and what it means to go out and consult with industry and making sure that you get in the full picture rather than just those people who are very motivated and uh, driven towards, you know, these new products that are being rolled out. Because the other side of that, um, in my role at a state level, it makes it very difficult for me to go and access funding because the states are saying, well, I want evidence of 
you know, the utilisation of this qualification. I want to understand that this is actually going to be uh, um, something that is going to proliferate, you know, so we're going to see more and more students engaged in it. Um, and we've just done this, done this diploma in applied technology and the State Minister was very um, enthusiastic about it. Um, however, trying to get RTOs uh, across the line to say, well, this is a great thing and we want to roll it out. Um, will you go off and develop the resources and so on? And they're saying, well, actually to develop the resources when we can't prove how many students we're going to get into this program is very difficult. It's very costly to develop the resources. You've got to teach, get trainers accredited. Um, you've got to put it on scope from uh, an RTA perspective um, and get through the ASQA process. Um, and we're trying to roll this stuff out nationally, but I'm doing it at a state-by-state state, um, level. Uh, it makes it very difficult. Um, every time we put a new product up, we've got to start from scratch. And on the other side of that, um, the federal agenda has been about wiping out things that have got low take-up. And I worry that as we drive out new product, um, unless it does have the full support of all states and territories and the federal government at the same time uh, at the right funding levels, that you're not going to get industry engaging in it and it will feed on itself and sooner or later they'll say, well, we've had very low enrolments in these qualifications, so we're going to knock them off and before we know it, the whole system will collapse like a, a Jenga pile. We definitely do not want the system collapsing like a Jenga pile. You've given us some great things to think about and I really like this concept of, I have to get my head around the, the, the term, skunk works, but some place where the national system could uh, innovate and there is specific funding for pilots. You don't have to prove that you've got hundreds of students ready to enrol, um, but there's funding for RTOs and industry to start to trial new courses um, for those new and emerging parts of, of the workforce. So, Leon, you have... Um, it's been a, a terrific conversation and I really thank you for, for making the time. You've given, uh, as always with my guests, me lots to, to think about um, and, and I'm sure listeners um, and others in the sector as well. So thank you very much for making the time um, and uh, look forward to, to seeing you around the traps and uh, wish you every success, particularly with getting that Diploma of Applied Technology uh, with some more take-up. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me, Claire. And with that, we're almost at the end of our first episode for 2020. Next week's episode looks at the role of the vet sector in tackling climate change and particularly looked at through the lens of uh, this summer's bushfires. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, then do get in touch. You'll find me on Twitter at Seafield and Associates. I'm on LinkedIn and you can also find Clarefield and Associates on Facebook. Lastly, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And thank you again for joining me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. <laughs>